I know. We should probably even introduce this podcast. We should probably we introduce this further. podcast before we get any further. You can be in charge of it since I feel like I want to go take a nap. Apologies for any motorcycles that come by. Not that that's anything new for our podcast. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. So, uh, welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome to this podcast. We talk about uh, ladies and feminine folks, people who identify uh, in a feminine tradition. Beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) All across the spectrum of history. So we've talked about contemporary women, and we've talked about women from way a long time ago. Ancient, ancient humanity. And that is a that is gist. the T. Yep, yep. That's what we do. <laughs> and um, yeah, today is what is today? October second. Second. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Happy so, October. So we've started October. We're halfway through Latinx Heritage Month, mm-hmm. and also climate strikes led by Greta Thunberg are happening all over the world. I think there were a couple in. Sweden and somewhere else uh, a couple days ago and she posted the pictures from those on her Instagram and they were fucking insane like I mean millions of people I think it's great it's great and obviously we just talked about some of the backlash but I'm gonna dive into this article I was just mentioning so the headline of this it's from BuzzFeed News teenage girls are leading the climate movement and getting attacked for it yay yay (laughs) yeah uh, it's, yeah, it's just, I guess, half of, the, um, half of the equation. On the morning of August 25th, 11-year-old Lily Platt tweeted a video clip of a Brazilian Amazon tribe speaking out against deforestation. Awareness of the Amazon wildfires was already at a fever pitch, and the tweet exploded. Then, within an hour, a swarm of troll accounts started flooding her mentions with porn. Ew! Fun, right? 11 years old. Shortly after the attack, her mom, Eleanor Platt, made an online plea for help. Dear friends of Lily, this is Lily's mom. She is being targeted by revolting trolls who are spamming her feed with pornography. There is only so much I can do to block this. Please, if you see these posts, report them. Over the course of the day, some of Lily's nearly 10,000 followers did just that. Young girls like Lily, who has been striking in her hometown of Utrecht, Netherlands, every Friday for the last year are overwhelmingly leading a growing global movement to draw attention to the climate crisis. They spurred an estimated 4 million people across seven continents to walk out of work and school on September 20th, and they are getting attacked for it. They have faced a barrage of daily insults, seemingly coordinated attacks, like the one that targeted Lily, creepy DMs, doxing, hacked accounts, and death threats. What the fuck is wrong with people? A lot. <laughs> These are literal children. <clears throat> oh, but it but protect the children, right? Yeah, yeah. What about the children? Who will think of the children? Um, this is the new normal for young climate leaders online, according to BuzzFeed News interviews with nearly a dozen of the kids and their parents. 
Personal attacks have always been a part of the climate denial playbook, even as fossil fuel companies secretly funded campaigns and researchers to question the scientific consensus on climate change. The most famous incident, 2009's Climate Gate, involved scientists getting their emails hacked and then facing death threats. Oh my god. And as the uh, politics of climate change begins to mirror the broader dark trends of global politics, weaponized social media, in the form of intimidation, memes, and disinformation, has emerged as the dominant vehicle for climate denial. But the rise of a new climate movement means there's now a much more visible and especially, 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 especially vulnerable target, kids. The clearest example of this is what's happening today with climate activism's biggest star currently, Greta Thunberg. The 16-year-old Swedish crusader single-handedly launched the climate strike movement last year and has become the biggest target for attacks on climate activism online. Climate science deniers, right-wing media pundits, and politicians are the most high-profile figures fixating on everything from her braided hair to her Asperger's to the motivation behind her climate strikes. On August 14th, as Greta set sail across the Atlantic for a packed trip involving multiple stripes, strikes, God, I can't speak, uh, involving multiple strikes, testimonies to Congress, and the United Nations Climate Summit in New York, former UK Independence Party funder Aaron Banks tweeted that, quote, freak yachting accidents do happen in August. Yep. Fun threat. Uh, shortly after Greta's arrival in the U.S., Maxine Bernier, a Canadian politician associated with extreme far-right groups, wrote, she should be denounced and attacked. A viral she should be attacked. Uh huh. A viral tweet from conservative firebrand Dinesh D'Souza oh, after fuck that guy. yeah, after the global climate strike hit at another recurring theme, comparing Greta to children in Nazi propaganda. I was literally about to bring that up about how that's the most <laughs> insane thing that I've seen on uh, conservative Twitter is that they're like, yeah, look at this image, like her with her braids using an Aryan-looking girl as propaganda. That's exactly what you know socialists do, and it's like. What in, what in the actual living fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Also, you guys put children on Fox News all the time. Like, Trump's youngest supporter with, like, kids in MAGA hats just who ha- literally have no idea what they're talking about. She, her, she has nothing to do with her, her parents' support her, but she's fully said, like, my parents didn't do shit. It was me. I brought it up to them. I taught them. Yeah. And they're like, oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that is one of the favorite refrains of the radical far right, though, is this idea that, I mean, it's used to make sure that their followers uh, believe that Democrats and, and progressives are psychotic. They they say, oh, well, they're being funded by somebody to create this propaganda. Like, it's all propaganda and somebody's paying for it. Which like, is insane. That's their favorite thing they to say. They just don't like that they're actually the ones who are the most akin to the Nazi party in right. Germany in the <laughs> 1930s. They're trying to spin it around because they called themselves socialist when they were fascist. Mm-hmm. And they are the fascist party. Correct. They're, it's. I also was listening to a thing about yeah. how... Um, it was uh, it was actually Jim Jeffries did uh, an episode recently about how somehow in America the word socialism has has come to mean something that it's not according to right wingers mm-hmm. like just the basic belief like we just seem to forget that you know fire 
fighters. That's socialism. Yeah. If that was privatized, can you imagine? Well, it's like we talked about, I think, in in one of our last episodes, how socialist programs saved us from the Great Depression. And we yeah, don't talk about that. Yeah, the conservatives fucking hate that. Right. They don't want to talk about that. They, they, the it, New Deal was, was terrible. Yeah. My grandpa rails on it all the time. Well, sorry, Grandpa, but the New Deal gave a lot of people jobs who were suffering. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, Red yeah. Rocks Amphitheater was a New Deal project. Really? Mm-hmm. Red Rocks in Colorado. I did mm-hmm. not know that. Yep. Gave a lot of men jobs to build that beautiful space. There you go. And it's a testament today. I mean, our national parks are, I think, a big... Uh, we don't have to go on into that. But yeah, yes, yeah. there are lots of socialist, socialist programs that plenty of capitalist countries use and depend on, and they're great. Okay. On Monday, a Fox News guest called her mentally ill, yep. a jab at her Asperger's diagnosis, prompting the outlet to issue an apology. Well, that's good. Shortly after the UN summit, President Donald Trump tweeted sarcastically, she seems like a very happy young girl looking forward to a bright and wonderful future. Yep. So nice to see. President who doesn't even know the difference between a fucking apostrophe and a hyphen. Uh-huh. He, yeah. He's senile. He should just go away. Oh, my God. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, Jesus. Everything that's happening right now is... Makes that very clear if it wasn't already. Uh, Meanwhile, upward of 5,000 tweets by suspected bots have mentioned Greta, according to an analysis by Bot Sentinel provided to BuzzFeed News. But it's not just Greta. Other young girls in the movement are facing a flood of online abuse. It's less clear where those attacks are coming from, but they involve a mix of regular accounts, trolls, and bots. Mm. While the young activists are often shielded from this due to constant monitoring from their parents of their social media, there's no filter for many of the teens. Jamie Margolin, a 17-year-old climate activist in Seattle, described how it felt experiencing a recent Twitter storm, uh, swarm. Quote, you are starting, you start getting so much anxiety. 17. I I can't imagine. um, With platforms like Twitter and Instagram, sometimes slow to respond or prevent the abuse, other advocates in the climate community are also stepping in to aggressively report and call out accounts that are targeting the kids. To flag problematic profiles, they sometimes use hashtags like uh, hashtag creepy deniers, hashtag climate brawl, hashtag team musk ox named after the musk ox species that forms a circle around vulnerable members of its herd. That's kind of sweet. The ugly (coughs) truth is that these girls are subject to the deepest, darkest evil side of social media on a daily basis, says Bethany Edwards, mom of eight-year-old climate activist Havana Chapman Edwards. Havana, who is black, has gotten racist messages, death threats, and was contacted by one man who the family later discovered was a registered sex offender. Eight years old, uh, climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe of Texas Tech University said she adds someone to her Twitter block list on average at least once a day, if not more. Um, for I'm Hay- shocked that that number's that low. <laughs> yeah, once. Um, for Hayhoe, as the voices of the climate teens grow louder, there is increasingly a target pointed squarely on their backs. They will attack anyone who is perceived as being effective, she said. The more effective we are, the greater attacks. Mm. Um, I mean, that's basically kind of the gist of it as it goes on, so I'll end there. But there are a lot of young female climate activists in their various communities. I think, I don't, I don't remember her real name, but Little Miss Flint. Yeah. Is, is a girl who has been 
um, an activist on behalf of Flint since the the water crisis started there. She's, I believe, like uh, maybe 12 by now. Mm. Um, But she has been vocal about... Marie Mary Copaney? Yes, yes. It's M-A-R-I, so I don't know if that's Marie or Mary or Mari. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe Maybe Mari Copaney, yeah. Um, A Mariana Copaney, so it's probably Mari. Okay, her her yeah. full name is Amariana. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. She's been in that in that game for a long time. And she's with 12. the help of her mother. So I was right. All right. And, and yeah, you see this with young girls where it seems to be that they are the most vocal and the most active. And, and of course, still because of sexism and all that bullshit, like, they're still very vulnerable to... Um, sexist and racist and misogynistic attacks that undermine their message to a lot of people. Not that I think they're ineffective because of the attacks. Obviously, the scientist said the more effective we are, the more we get attacked. And that seems to be a good sign. It's just like for young girls to have to deal with that is really awful. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess I kind of I wanted to bring it up just because Greta's not the only one. There are so many young girls in the climate fight, and they are all being attacked and harassed. And so, you know, if you see that kind of shit happening online, do something. Report. Hey, let's and, protect children. Yeah. Be a muskox. <laughs> be a muskox. I like that. Cheers Thank to you. that. With our tea. Cheers. <laughs> so, yeah. There you have it. That's that. Fuck those people who, dis- who think harassing children is fun. I know. Or, or that it's a worthwhile cause. That's so ridiculous. Well, it's gross. I really hope that, like, one day they feel gross about it. Maybe they never will, but history will. History will make sure that we feel gross about them. Yeah. You know? Thank goodness. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Well, do you want to tell me about a lady? I do. Um, and I have uh, a couple of disclaimers, I guess, before I begin okay um one just the obvious that because i'm feeling kind of sick i i apologize if i sound a little low energy or froggy uh and froggy um two the usual obvious um pronunciation disclaimer but also a lot of my notes it was hard to find um Things in written in English about this person, mm. so or things it was like obvious. A lot of the sources were either translated from Spanish, or right. um, written um, in in uh, a vernacular um, that I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Translated yeah. from Spanish, yeah. and so it's it's kind of there's it can be a little bit stilted. I tried to edit my notes as much as possible, but um, yeah. All right. 
There we go. All right. I'm aware. I'm disclaimed. Yes. Um, my uh, sources this week are BU Feminist Culture Warrior Women. Whoa. Uh, Wikipedia and flora.org.pe. Which I presume is Peruvian because yep. I want to talk to you today about Maria Jesus Alvarado Rivera. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Who was a Peruvian rebel feminist, educator, journalist, writer, and social activist at the turn of the century. Goodness. So uh, she was noted by the National Council of Women of Peru in 1969 as the first modern champion of women's rights in Peru. All right. Yeah. Uh, she was born in Chincha Alta on May 27th, 1878. Uh, her parents uh, were Cayetano Arciniega Alvarado. Uh, he was an owner and administrator of a large estate called uh, Chacrabajo. And um, her mother, I think, was Jesus Rivera, Rivera Martinez, I was like, I had to look that up because I was like, isn't Jesus a, a male name? But apparently that's what they have listed as her mother's name. All right. Um, <clears throat> they were both natives of Chincha province in Peru. <clears throat> Their marriage was arranged and would later lead Maria to question the institution of marriage itself, presumably <laughs> because they were only moderately happy at best. OK, good reason. <laughs> um, she was the 10th of 13 kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Um, it didn't say this explicitly, but from what I could gather, it seemed that she was born into affluence if her father was, he managed an entire estate. Okay, Um, that makes sense. But due to the War of the Pacific, which was a war um, where Chile Chile was fighting Bolivia and Peru over um, land control. Mm. Um, Because there was a silver rush, I think, from what I could gather. I had to kind of look into it a little bit. There was like silver mines and then also guano, which was like obviously being used as fertilizer that would create salt deposits and that salt was very valuable. Anyway, they were fighting over land. And guano is? Is (laughs) batshit, literally. Just in case uh, you guys weren't aware. (laughs) Um, and so because of this war, her whole family, her mother, her father, and her 12 siblings had to leave their property in Chincha Alta and move to Lima when she was very young. Um, as was customary for the time, we've heard this a million times on this podcast, her education went only through primary school, like elementary school, because that's all that women could we're do allowed. we're allowed to do um it's not worth educating women nope i uh, bother however in that short time she managed to learn how to read and write extremely well and for a while her subsequent studies were self-taught um eventually she attended a private high school which was run by uh elvira garcia y garcia who was another early ardent leader of feminism in peru but i when i looked her up there was literally like two sentences in a photograph that's so Maybe it's there's more on her on Spanish language sites. Could so that be. That would make sense. But there's I couldn't really find much about her except for that she was like very much promoting feminism in the late 1800s in Peru and teaching women to be feminists, which I was like, shit. And she was her teacher. She was her teacher. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Auspicious and, start. Uh-huh. And so after her uh, private high school um, graduation, uh, Maria became a teacher. She was disturbed by the antiquated educational system uh, of her 
city, I suppose. Um, she studied sociology on her own and was instrumental in, in introducing advanced methods of vocational education, euthanasia, Whoa. the health and matrimonial care of school children, and the control of sexually transmitted diseases. She, oh, damn. She wanted to teach about um, safe sex. She was way ahead of her time. That's what was blowing my mind. You said 1878? That's when she was born. Yeah. Okay, okay. Still, though, I mean, that's only, what, 20 years? 20-ish <laughs> yeah. years? That's crazy. Yeah, the early 1900s was really when she was, like, doing most of her work. Holy That's shit. That's radical. Yeah. It's not even like women should have rights, but it was women should be taught how to have sex safely so that we stop, yeah. you know, spreading STDs, which That's was a conversation. usually a byproduct of men going and fucking around on their wives, which again, right. another reason why she would perhaps be like, what is the institution of marriage really? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think she ever married. I, I, I never, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> um, fair enough. Uh, with the help of her brother, Lorenzo Antonino, he was a college geology professor at the National University of San Marcos. Um, with his help, she got a job as a columnist for a newspaper called El Comercio. Um, she also was a columnist for El Diario in 1908 and years later for La Prensa. Mm. Um, she made her first presentation on feminist issues at the International Women's Congress in 1910. Wow. International Women's Congress. Like, this is a thing happening in South America, and I've never heard of it. It's wild. We don't really talk about South America that Not really. much in, no. in, in school. In, in, and nope. I mean, I can't really even we think We learn of... more about Asia and obviously Europe and Africa than we do South America, I think, right. in school. Yeah. Which even m- Even Mexico, even like our, you know, neighbor right there, we yeah. don't really talk about... Yeah. Mexican history all no. that much at all. No, except for, you know, when I grew up in Texas and we learned about conflict. Right. Because Texas loves to teach their children Texas history, which, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she spoke about feminist issues at that Congress in 1910. And in 1911, she lectured on feminism at the Geographical Society of Lima, explaining the basics of feminism to women in the city as part of a current global social change, which raised the need to provide equal civil and political rights to women. So she's basically just like (laughs) stirring the pot in Lima, like calling women to come listen to her speak, telling them they deserve more. It's great. I'll bet her teacher was very proud. I'm sure. Uh, It was at this conference that she sparked public interest in the idea of women's suffrage Uh, But obviously there was a mixed response there. As Um, there is today. And Peru actually has a really horrible track record on women's suffrage. Women did not get the right to vote there until 1955. Whoa. It took a long time. Oh, my God. So 1910, she's talking about this. And and it's still 45 years away. She she may not have even been alive. I guess you'll tell me. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you. (laughs) Um, There were some women who saw her speak um, that obviously loved her and some that didn't. Um, There's a quote that says, finally, a woman has appeared who will liberate us from the oppressive subordination in which we live. Whoa. But others thought her ideas were far too radical and would cause anarchy and the deterioration of family values. That's something that's completely new to to me to hear about with feminism and love. Um, as women would abandon their traditional roles. Oh, no. But I, well, I also read um, in one translated article, so hopefully it's it's correct, my interpretation is that she was also very ardent in supporting 
um, women in their roles as mothers. Mm. So, which makes sense. Yeah. It's, but I think that that's still way ahead of its time. It's kind of a modern sort of women. Feminism is about women being able to choose their path. Right. Instead of being forced into one. Um, right. But I think it also it has to do with education as well. Yeah. Because if you have a, a, a strong mother figure teaching her children, you know, well, then yeah. they grow up to be better people. And you think about, I mean, we still view, for whatever reason, motherhood as a vacation. I mean, the, the number of, of women who I've either read stories from or talked to who like went on maternity leave and came back and were asked by their coworkers, how was your vacation um, is astounding. And so the idea of like supporting mothers because it's a valuable, you know, female job, whatever yeah. is, is still radical. No, that, that actually literally just happened recently to a friend of mine told me about how her brother told his wife with their new baby he came home from work and says how's your vacation going and they got in a huge fight because she was like are you fucking serious what makes you what makes you think this is a vacation it's not easy at all and and he eventually came around was like i'm sorry but yeah no it, it it and this is a relatively progressive family relatively still yeah i mean they're that's ingrained that's but, yeah, like that's a societal thing right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, yep. that would make me rage. In uh, another way in which Maria was ahead of her time, I found, um, and that's me editorializing. Please do. <laughs> in the vein of <laughs> speaking of things that make people afraid for the deterioration of society, uh, she also happened to be a part of, <clears throat> excuse me, the steering committee of the Pro-Indigenous Association and wrote oh. a lot for the defense of the rights of the Peruvian indigenous people. And, oh boy! And also advocated for workers' rights and fought to get an eight-hour workday. This woman was magical. Yeah, I mean, as a woman who was born into affluence, yeah, it's it's awesome. She's that a freaking unicorn. She came to the conclusions that she did and supported the positions that she did. I I bet I'll bet you her teacher had a lot to do like at, at, during those very formative years learning I really wish I could have found more about this woman yeah um Elvira her name's Elvira god what a Garcia good name e. Garcia so good <laughs> yeah um, I'll bet I'll bet I'll bet she's had a lot to do with that yeah which you know thank goodness for her yeah uh in 1914 um she established a feminist organization in Lima called uh Evolución Femenina with them she introduced multitudes of proposals to enact civil codes and to uh, bring women into government jobs um, before they could even vote. (laughs) It's yeah, it's kind of amazing that that seems to be an an inroad for a lot of, um, you know, suffrage movements Mm -hmm. is that women started in government roles and then were like, oh, by by, while I'm here, like I'll fight for the right to vote. Exactly. Um, this organization unquestionably was a clear-cut rebellion against the societal set standards for Peruvian women of the mm-hmm. time. Uh, her sustained campaigns with this organization lasted for nine years and resulted in the Chamber of Representatives allowing women to become members of public welfare societies in 1915, uh, which then was enacted into law in 1922. Hmm. Um, Evolución Femenina also naturally drew a lot of criticism from the community, only a small number of women agreed to put their names publicly on membership roles, 
And one of the newspapers of the city printed a photo in 1924 uh, when Maria was giving a talk in which many attendees removed their hats and covered their faces so that their picture wouldn't get printed in the newspaper that they went to see her speak, even though they were her supporters. Right. Well, yeah, they Mm. don't want to get, like, hurt. Yeah. By uh, all the same types of people who are exactly what we were talking about in the opening. Yeah. Getting doxxed, getting, you know, the the 1920s equivalent of being shamed by society. Twitter, at least, is a shit show and and, and just a garbage. (laughs) You don't go, oh, society is shaming me. You just go, these people are clowns. Yeah, fucking psycho trolls. (laughs) Um, In 1923, oops, sorry. After a visit to Peru by Carrie Chapman Catt, the president of the International Suffrage Alliance, Alvarado Rivera established the National Council for Women. This organizational organization, excuse me, was beset with serious problems arising between the radicals, which I think that was the translation for her group, the mm-hmm, <laughs> the, the female rebels, <laughs> and the Catholic Church. Oh boy! And the Catholics in the city. Oh boy! Because uh, I guess Peru has a strong Catholic presence. That would make uh, sense. Yes, it would, because I think the, you know being colonized by Spain will do that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, at that time. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, the National Council for Women began to experience inner conflict early on. Um, There was a divide concerning whether they should advocate for more than just women's suffrage. Um, Yeah, Maria definitely wanted more than just women's suffrage. Yeah, she wanted everybody to be. She wanted full equality. Yeah, is is what it was. Yeah, Um, when she proposed that the council consider reforming civil code to grant women, particularly married women, equal rights under the law. There was strong resistance and skepticism from within the group and from Mm. newspapers and affiliates within the council. Man, her parents' marriage had a big impact Mm -hmm. on her, didn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's... I I don't know. if 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 you see your parents are unhappy and it makes you just not care about marriage, that's one thing. But if it makes you... If you've seen something that makes you go, gosh, like women clearly need equal rights within their own marriages too. They're not necessarily protected even when they're married, especially when they're married. Right. <clears throat> she must have seen some shit. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. She also, as part of her movement for women's rights, established a labor and moral school workshop, which was the way that they framed this, I think kind of had a negative connotation, but she basically um, set up a school to educate sex workers and try to get them jobs when they felt there was nowhere else they, so they turned to sex work because they were desperate. Right. Uh, that she wanted to offer those types of people a safe haven to come oh. re-enter society somehow. Not with skills. Yeah. Like with Which specific skills. In the early 20th century is insanely That's, yeah, forward-thinking. No. I can't even, I can't even imagine that. Like this, I mean, even today sex work is denigrated in horrifying ways. And, oh, yeah. you know, back then it was just like these are unclean women and they're, they can never be blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I mean, they're basically the same as, as lepers in a, in a big way. Yeah. But she wanted to be able to offer those who wanted it a place to land and start over. That really is radical. Yeah. Um, She wrote a famous essay titled El Feminismo. Yes. Feminismo. (laughs) Yeah. You're doing great. Which uh, translates, obviously, to just it means feminism. Mm-hmm. And it was the first 
revolutionary essay of the 20th century in Peru. Whoa. And then she also wrote another famous um, essay titled Nuevas Cumbres, which translates to New Heights. Mm. Um, Oh, sorry. That's a novel in which it imagines a utopia where men and women live as true equals. (laughs) Sci-fi. God, and that's still sci-fi. Even today, that's science fiction. Yep. Bless her heart. So um, going back to uh, the Pan-American Women's Conference, which met in Lima in 1924, the topic that was going to be discussed there was women's suffrage, the women's right to vote. Right. Um, Maria loudly challenged them to broaden the subject to encompass the notion of total women's equality because of her strong support for empowering all women with full voting rights and full equality, she was met with incredible resistance. The Catholic Women's League objected with powerful anger and passion, and they were supported by the then president of Peru, who felt his regime was being threatened by the notion of women's equality. So what what is the simplest solution for the government to do when they don't like somebody and what they're saying? Uh, He put her in prison. Oh, okay. He was like, "Mm, I can't have this. We're going to arrest you. Saw that coming. Yeah. So she spent three months in Santo Tomas uh, women's prison in solitary confinement during the winter of 1924 and then spent 12 years in exile in Argentina. Do we know what the specific charges against her were? Just like, fuck you, basically. I think it was a fuck. It was just you're you're inciting uh, rebellion, maybe something along those lines. Man. Um, even after she was released from jail, she w- continued to receive extremely scary messages and warnings that, this is, and this is so wow. funny, it harkens to the, hey, freak accidents can happen, uh, yachting accidents can happen in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says, uh, quote, more serious incidents could happen to her because when ladies get into men's issues, they put themselves in a position to be on the receiving end of manly consequences. Whoa. That's terrifying. It's like yeah. we're gonna we're not we're not gonna treat you with respect, even if you're a woman. Well, and what are manly consequences? That can only mean violence. Yeah, because you know, especially back then, it was like, oh, you know, you can hit your wife in the privacy of your own mm-hmm. home for sure, no problem. Right. That's but not you a. Couldn't, you can just hit a woman in the street. God damn. For no reason. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So while she was in Argentina, um, she continued to be a school teacher. Because that's one of the things, like her in her wheelhouse, um, she directed plays in the schools that she worked, which she had written <gasps> on subjects of social and moral issues in society. And I'm sure you can guess what type of issues she wanted to talk about. Um, but after 12 years, she uh, returned from exile to Peru. She devoted her time to radio, theater and cinema with the primary purpose of getting voting rights for women. Finally, and you think about radio, theater yeah. and cinema. Yep. She, women still can't fucking vote. Um, <laughs> she, she wrote a play, the Perecholi, that was aired by the Radio National, no, Radio Nacional del Peru. <laughs> You're doing. This great. is the whitest. Pre- I'm some of the words I'm trying, and some I'm just too. I feel too sick to even like make a fucking ass of myself. I understand. Um, but she established an Academy of Dramatic Arts in Lima, which was called Olente. Oyente, um, with her own money. Um, the school was weirdly embraced by the Ministry of Education as it helped to create the 
uh, Directorate of Culture and Arts in Peru. Mm. So it seemed like when she came back, even though she was still radical, especially because women still couldn't vote, they embraced her much more in the arts world. Which I guess kind of makes sense, especially in in the mid twentieth century. Yeah, and I think I mean, because I mean the arts world tends to be where most uh, progressives, where boundaries can be pushed. Yeah, where boundaries can be mm-hmm. pushed, and clearly she found a way to get some of her message across in a way that was a little bit more palatable. Yeah, well, and it was still it was still um, government adjacent mm-hmm. because it was like the she the National Academy of Arts and right. that sort of, you know, um, uh, um, Directorate of Culture and Arts in Peru. Like it was a, like a department within yeah. the government that she was kind of a part of slash consultant for slash, you know, yeah, all that. In 1938, she introduced the Code of Rights for Women, whatever that means. Uh, specifically, in 1940, mm-hmm. she wrote on the topic of eugenics and children in a newspaper, which I'm not sure exactly. Like how? Like what? Yeah. Like what is? I couldn't fit. Again, it's probably much more detail on Spanish language sites. Yeah. Yeah. And she wrote in Spanish. So, you know, basically. Um in 1945, the government approved her proposal to establish a national theater. And wow. she also became counselor of the municipality of Lima. So she, again, but it was her who started the notion of women in governmental jobs in Peru. And there she is. And it's coming got, full circle. Yeah. Uh, the feminist movement launched by Alvarado Rivera took a long time to take shape. And it was only in 1955 that women got the right to vote in Peru. She died on May 6, 1971. At Um, 92 years of age, apparently and sadly a much disappointed woman as her efforts in the feminist movement did not get acclaim during her lifetime. Oh. But women got the right to vote in her lifetime. That is, I mean, that's really. A huge part of which because of her. It's huge. It is a huge accomplishment. She was just dreaming so big. Like, when you're dreaming so, so big. I mean, that's the point, is that women still don't have full equality under under the law. Right. In the Western world or the non-Western world. In any world. In any world. And she's been, you know, dead since the 70s. Yeah. So she would probably still be disappointed. Oh, God, yeah. But... If she was immortal. (laughs) I think the fact that she... Uh, had access to so many impressionable young minds Mm. probably was a much more effective way for her to spread her message and like get people on. She planted a seed. Yeah. Which her seed was planted by her teacher. It's just like, I think it really dictates the importance of teachers and, and education on many subjects. Yeah. Which is broad, you know, that's, you know, colleges is where the, the liberals try and indoctrin- indoctrinate your children. Yeah, with with knowledge, they with just, facts. They, they teach them things they didn't know, and it broadens their mind. And, oof, brainwashed. Darn. Yeah. Brainwashed. Yep. <laughs> so oh there you have it. That's Maria Jesus Alvarado Rivera. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I don't even know if we've talked about <laughs> a South American woman on this podcast that's why i thought i was like peruvian especially we haven't no Mm. yeah i didn't i mean like i literally know nothing about you know any of the feminist movement in peru yeah 
Yeah. It's totally, totally, I'm in the dark about it. And so this was, this was like a little, a little more eye opening about how that went and how, I mean, you know, I think that when we're talking about feminism in the Western world, it can feel very insulated to like the North American viewpoint. And we don't realize that these ideas have been around and they've been around in a lot of places for a long time. Yeah. The idea of, of equality, you know, it's not just, I don't know, it's not just a recent thing and it's not just in certain places. It's, right. It's everywhere. Which is good. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, cause, because a lot of times I think th- people try and make it seem like feminism is a radical sort of white woman only thing. Yeah. And it's not because every culture that is patriarchal has had this sort of uh, resistance in some way or another. Where women go, hey, hey, wait a sec, but uh, we're people too. Yeah, we would like to be treated that way. Yeah, like we can do things. Yeah, but I mean that's kind of the work that we do on this podcast a little bit. Is we're sort of picking at threads that have been sewn over uh, female oh, I love history. That image. Ooh, that was beautiful, oh, thank Hannah. You. That was a good metaphor. Thank you very much. Uh, I did not practice that in the mirror. Um, well, see, now it seems like you did. <sighs> Fuck. You'll never know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think that. We have, it's been hidden for a long time yeah. and, and it's there. Yeah. I mean, the, this idea that women have been doing amazing things and had incredible thoughts and didn't, you know. What? Yeah. Like that feels new for a lot of people, but it isn't. Right. And that's why I think that doing this podcast is really important for us because I have, I mean, I've learned. I had no idea who she was. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know about so many of these people. Mm-hmm. I was uh, on Twitter a couple days ago, I think somebody said, women before the two, the year 2000 didn't really write science fiction. I saw it, and I saw that you jumped in on that conversation, and I was like, thank you, <laughs> Hannah. Some dude tried to say that women didn't write science fiction before the year 2000. Like, what? What? No. Excuse me. Listen to our podcast, because a woman basically invented the whole genre. And also, there have been plenty of fucking female authors that are sci-fi writers that have been around. I know. What are you talking about, you idiot? It's ignorance. It's not even like women who are underground. Nobody knows about them. There right. were best-selling female authors in the 1970s. Like, what do you think? It's I, total I, it was a ignorance. great thread because so many women jumped. Like some writers would be like, "Hi, I've been writing since the 1970s, and I've published all these books and you know all this shit." And yeah, just women like, "Oh yeah, fuck me then." All these women, like they listed off like a bunch of female writers, like all these women I was reading in 1985. Yep, I guess they weren't real. But it proves that it proves that point that that women have been around doing this shit forever, and it's just that we've we've tucked the facts of that away right and and it's not even malicious that so many people don't know right it's just the fact that we prioritize patriarchal achievements and narratives so this is our tiny way to buck against that yeah and i think that um maria is a fantastic example of that oh thank you yeah so thank you you're welcome do you have any on this day in history i have a few 
Tell me. Um, it was it was a lot of weird stuff. We're <laughs> uh, mine out, we're, too. <laughs> we're out of the the battles all the time. <laughs> yeah. There were weirdly a lot of plane crashes, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, oh. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, October second, nineteen fifty five, ENIAC. One of the earliest electronic general purpose computers, coded by women, uh, in case you didn't hear that episode, yeah. is shut down. Oh. So that was ENIAC's last day. It was October 2nd, 1955. Wow. Yep. All right. Yep. Damn. October Crazy. 2nd, 1959, Rod Serling's anthology series, The Twilight Zone, premieres on CBS. Damn. 59? 59. Holy shit. First episode, Where Is Everybody? <laughs> Uh, October 2nd, 1967, Thurgood Marshall is sworn in as the first African-American justice of the United States Supreme Court. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, October 2nd, 1869, Mahatma Gandhi is born. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, October 2nd, 2005, August Wilson, American author and playwright, dies. And then uh, I was like, this is weird because... ENIAC was an episode of our podcast, but October 2nd, 1981 is the day that Hazel Scott died. Oh. Who is, that's episode two of this podcast. Yeah. My very first woman I ever covered. Oh, Hazel Scott. She's, we have a snippet of her voice. I've in... been a rebel all my life in the opening. That's mm-hmm. Hazel Scott. Oh, wow. She's amazing. Yeah. What year did you say that was? She died in 1981. Oh, man. And if you'll recall, she was performing up until like the last two months of her death. Yeah. Like right before her death. No, yeah. She was a fucking badass. Yeah. Uh, energetic to the end. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. Dude, thanks. Yeah. I Do love you it. Uh, have something you're excited about this week? Um, that's a good question that I forgot to think about. Oh, actually, yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> Comic Con is yeah. uh, this, this weekend. week. And I have a four day pass. Because you're mean. I have some clients who've got some cool shit going on. Uh, if you are going to Comic-Con, you should stop by the Penguin Random House booth because Del Rey, one of their imprints, is featuring my client's book, The Vanished Birds, in oh. their sampler. They're he, they're going to publish like the first two chapters or something in their That's uh, upcoming season sampler. So, yes, it is very exciting. And you can read before it comes out in January, a little bit of the book. So All right. Yeah. If you're if you're in the city and you're going to Comic Con, go check that out. And uh yeah, so I'm just excited to see everybody and go to cool panels and I'm not excited for the anxiety induced by the crowds. Yeah. But I think um it'll be okay. That's the thing, is I wish I could have gone to Comic Con when I was like twenty two. <laughs> it's intense. It's very intense. Because I feel like now I'd just be like, ah. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm so envious. I want to go. Well, But you know what I want to go do right now? What? Take a nap. Oh. All right. Well, let's go. Let's go take a short nap. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs> Peace out, witches. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. 
Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty and much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.